We are looking at we're looking at work, right? Now this is kind of fun. Chris isn't here, and Bruce he must be up teaching for my dad. So we're going to talk about work without the pastors here. For those of us that have real jobs, <laughs> right? Yeah, we know how they are. You know, Chris says they work. I I know. I, I know. We. I'm just messing. I've done the vocational thing. Um, seriously, we're going to talk about work, and we're going to talk about work in the context of the fact that your your job makes a lousy God, and we're going to get into that. But as a let's walk back a little bit, and let's hit these points of review just to put some context. Remember, Chris has taught a couple of weeks now on our, our work, and he's kind of establishing a theology of work for us. If you haven't heard the lessons, go out on the website. Um, glenwoodconnection.org under resources, go to the sermons, and the lessons are there. If you don't have time to listen to them, you can pull up the notes, review the notes, um, and, the, and at least you, know, you can look through those notes and, and get a pretty good idea of what we're walking through and what we're talking through. Um, but here's some points of review on this. Work was given by the creatively working God to the people he, ma- he made in His image before the fall, not after. In other words, what's that tell you? The nature of work is good, not evil. Here we're going, yeah, right, Todd. You haven't been to my job. No, 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 the nature of work is good, not evil. After the fall, God cursed the environment and the effectiveness of work, but not work itself. How many experience the cursed environment and effectiveness of work? Yes, we... Yeah, I'm going to make you respond to me today. That, you know, this is, or, or it's going to be a painful lesson if, if I don't get responses. Uh, okay, so at least a hand raise, nods, and at some point I may actually make you talk to me. Um, so in Christ, meaning and purpose is being restored to work in spite of the curse on its environment and effectiveness. Because if all we had was a cursed environment and a cursed effectiveness, we'd give up on it. Well, there's no meaning. It's miserable. Who cares? Why would I bother? But in Christ and through Christ, the meaning and purpose of work is being restored. Under the Lordship of Christ, work is not only commanded. We can't get away from it. It's commanded. You have to do it. But it's also commended um, for his followers. It's a good thing. Work, even work done for King Jesus... That means even the work that, yes, our pastors do as vocational ministers is not the dream job that we would all like our jobs to be. Their job is not the dream job. None of the jobs that we look over the fence at the greener grass is the dream job. Why? Work, even the work done for King Jesus, is never completely satisfying or totally fulfilling this side of the final rest in the new creation. Who has their dream job? The job you, you wanted it growing up, you went to college for this, you know, this is what you were looking forward to. Who's got their dream job? Got to be somebody. Got your dream job. Stay-at-home mom? Stay-at-home mom. That's awesome. Stay-at-home mom. Okay, how many stay-at-home moms? That's your dream job. Got a few. All right, all right. Anybody else their dream job? Yeah, not a lot. Wow. I thought we'd have at least a couple of dream, you know, that, that you want. Okay, let's ask this. Who's got the job they went to college to prepare for? Okay, you went to college to prepare for a job that you really didn't want. Is that how it works? <laughs> didn't they give you one of those tests in high school? You know, I went to college and I got a degree in theology and Bible. Guess where I work? For an insurance company. 
kind of how it works. Yeah, I, I don't have my dream job. I've got a good job, and I like my job, but I don't have a dream job. So, But here's the thing. Even if you have a job that you love, even if you have a job that comes Sunday night, you can't hardly sleep because you're so excited about getting up the next day and going to work. Even your best day is never going to be completely satisfying and totally fulfilling this side of our final rest in the new creation. Believers will joyfully, meaningfully, and purposely work with God the Father and His Son by His Spirit for all eternity in the final rest of the cursed, free, better than the garden, new Jerusalem. In other words, we were made to participate in work, and in eternity will participate in work, but it's going to be in an environment without the curse. So it'll be fully effective, it'll be fully fulfilling and satisfying. And it'll be focused, of course, on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, there's a review. Today, we're getting into the idea of the problem of setting our job up as an idol, or the fact that your job makes a lousy God. Your job makes a lousy God. Jobs can become idols, okay? So, but when we say your job can become an idol, what do we mean by an idol? What is an idol? What does it mean when we say that a person has made work an idol? We maybe have heard this idea, this concept, this thought, ah, they made their work an idol. This is an abstract kind of idea, so we need to kind of pull it down into something we can hold on to. And, and, and really, then we start thinking, well, does this mean that, you know, loving your job is wrong? Do we, so, does it mean that it's always wrong to enjoy our work? Does that make it an idol? No. Enjoying your work's a good thing. means maybe you got your dream job. Apparently nobody has, but that's okay. You're working on it. Um, does it mean it's wrong to desire to make a difference? That, hey, you're working hard at work because you want to make a difference in the world. Is that, is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. Does it mean that it's wrong to, to want to spend less time at our job? Or more time at our job? No, not necessarily. What about the idea we want to succeed and, and, and better ourselves? Is it wrong for me to, to work harder and, and take tests and to study um, things in my industry so that I can get promotions or I can do better at my job and, and do those things? No, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's probably a good thing. Does it make it wrong to want to leave your mark on the world, to, to want to make the world a better place? No, those doesn't necessarily make any of that wrong. The trouble starts... When our pursuit of enjoyment or influence or status in our work begins to make our work the source of ultimate satisfaction or meaning for us. So a couple of truths. A couple of truths about us and our worship of idols. A couple of things that we need to kind of get settled. First of all, we are made to worship. All right? We're made to worship. doesn't matter... We're going to worship something. We are worshipers by our very nature as human beings. We will find something to bow down before. We will find something to give our lives and to give our devotion to. We're going to get something. We're going to pull something. Now, it might be something absurd and meaningless, but we'll find something to give our lives to. We, As human beings, we do not like to live in a state of meaninglessness there want, we want to we naturally want to have something that we're, we're focused on that we desire that gives us some level of 
satisfaction or fulfillment in our lives. And if we start to experience any level of fulfillment and satisfaction out of doing something or getting something or experiencing something, we will naturally pursue those things to do what? To continue to gain those satisfactions, fulfillments, joys, whatever. It's our natural tendency. We will worship something. We will center our lives around something or someone because that's our natural tendencies as human beings. Second truth, and this one's really important, only God is worthy of our worship. So we're made to worship, but only God is really worthy of that worship. All right? Luke 4, 8 says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. Very clear. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. Anybody else? Anything else in there? Him only. You see anything else? If it's Him only, does anything else fit? No. At least some head shakes. We got a, got a couple of vocal no's. That was pretty good. Because I'm going to make you talk before it's all over. And Him only shall you... What's the verse say? Now this is very interesting. Because it didn't say, you shall serve the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. You know, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. The connection between worship and service, very important. Virtually interchangeable. If God is at the center of our worship, if God is at the center of our worship, then our life will be given in service to Him. Okay? So, this is not an issue of vocation. Alright? Some of us here have done, the, have done the, as if it was a bad experience. It was wonderful. Have been in vocational ministry. So, who's me and Kirk? Who else has been in vocational ministry? So, we got, got some of them done the vocational ministry. Awesome. We love vocational ministry. I, I enjoyed it. Three and a half great years and three and a half scary, weird, miserable, wonderful years. Okay? It's all there, isn't it? It's it's the whole mix of the whole shebang. I don't know. Everybody's experience is different. And I'm trying to scare you. It's just that the dream job of being fulfilled in ministry and serving God is not necessarily mean it's vocational. Because if we start thinking that, what does that mean for all of us sitting in this room that are not currently vocational? That we're not what? Serving God. This is not an issue of vocation. Okay? And, and here, here's a little transparency out of me. I really had to work through this. When I moved back from Arizona and came back to Glenwood and got the job at the insurance company, because when you leave vocational ministry, you have only a handful of options, and one of them is insurance. And I do believe about 85% of ex-pastors work in insurance. So... I went to insurance. That was, you know, okay, I can do that. But you had to work through the reality of, okay, but can I still be fulfilled to do what I'm passionate about doing? Because what I'm passionate about, I love ministry. I love disciple building. I love church building. I love teaching. I love doing these things. Can I still be fulfilled working at an insurance company? And the answer took me a little while to truly get there was absolutely yes. Because it isn't an issue of vocation, it's an issue of surrender. 
It's an issue of surrender. The issue isn't where my dollars are coming from that I pay my bills with. The issue is what my purpose in life is driven towards. And so, when God says, hey, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only will you serve, it is an issue of whether or not we're going to surrender to doing what God wants us to do on this earth and in this life. I mean, we think of idols, we think of Old Testament idols. I, I mean, I, you think of the little golden statue that Indiana Jones you know, takes from the, from the cave before the big boulder comes around. That's the little golden idols. We think of idols. All right, or or the golden calf and the Cecil B. Cecil B. DeMille movie, you know, Ten Commandments, and they're all dancing around and stuff. Those those are the idols we might think of. But even in the Old Testament concept of an idol, people would worship the physical objects they believed represented spiritual beings, and the people performed all kinds of acts of worship. You know, they don't show a lot of those acts in a Cecil B. DeMille movie because it would be not suitable for television or PG viewing. It was messed up what people would do in the Old Testament for worship of idols. People would organize their lives around their devotion to the gods these idols represented. Okay? So we're trying to correlate idols, Old Testament idea replacing God with idols. Oh, now we're in a modern world where we don't necessarily have little golden statues sitting on our shelves. So, we're trying to get to where we understand we're, we're not that obvious in our idol worship. You know, we don't, most of us, is, I don't know, probably nobody has a little shelf in their living room with the golden statue on it that you, each you come in and, you know, you know whatever you, you do, you, you kiss it, you put flowers before, I don't know, whatever acts of worship would be suitable. But we're not that, we're not that obvious. We're more like the rich young ruler. So turn to Luke 18. We're probably a whole lot like the rich young ruler. Luke 18, we're going to start reading in verse 18 and just read a few verses of this story. I'm sure it's a story you're familiar with. It gets taught a lot, especially when we're talking about surrender and lordship and all these kind of things. It was a great example. And Luke 18, and here Jesus had been teaching, he's hanging out, and people are coming and talking to him, and, and here a ruler asked him, verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, the little ruler said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus asked a young ruler to surrender a couple of idols. And there's the obvious one and then the little more subtle one. But he asked him to surrender a couple of idols. You see, the rich rulers, 
Well, that's the, the first one, he, he, the first idol he asked him to surrender. Then we'll talk. So he wanted him to surrender his temporary security now for eternal, eternal security now and forever in heaven. Jesus asked him to surrender his temporary security now for eternal security now and forever in heaven. The rich young ruler's security and prestige and power were, were wrapped up in his money. He became very sad because he was extremely rich. I mean, he just had an emotional, deep emotional response with the idea of selling all that he had. Everything he was, everything, that his entire identity, everything he related to, everything that gave him fulfillment and satisfaction, his full identity, it was all wrapped up in his money. And Jesus asked him, to no longer take his security from money, no longer take your identity from your money, no longer take your life purpose from money. Instead, trust Jesus for treasure in heaven, for security and eternity. Because that's the interesting thing. He says, hey, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. It's not a, you need to be destitute forever in eternity. No, you're trading. You're trading your riches now for treasure in eternity. Now, this makes sense. You know, you don't, have, you don't have to know a whole lot about retirement planning and all to know that you have to give up a little bit now to get a whole lot later. At our company, we have a 401k. Hallelujah. I work for a good company. And we work through Prudential, and we can go onto the Prudential website, and they let you play with the numbers, and can tell you, well, this is how much I'm putting in each, you know, each month for my 401k, and then it bases based on this interest rate, and I put this little bit amount in, and over a really long period of time that I'm going to work, at the end, I have this really big, but not nearly as big as Kim would like it to be, chunk of money that I'm going to live the rest of my retirement years on, right? So you give up a little now to get a whole lot later. The rich young ruler, as awesome as he was at money, did not understand the eternal and spiritual realities of retirement planning because he was unwilling to give up a little to him. It was his whole life treasure now for eternal treasures forever in heaven. Because that was a trade-off, right? Jesus was clear. Sell what you have now, treasures in heaven. All right? That was the first surrender. The second surrender that Jesus asked him to make was surrender pursuing your own purpose. What was his purpose? Money, power, prestige, self-righteousness. These are what he lived for. These were his purposes. Surrender pursuing your own purpose for doing life, for a life doing God's mission. For a life doing God's mission. I think we miss this sometimes in this story because we really it's real easy just to focus on the money thing. And it's obviously a clear money thing And because we'll hear this sermon or lesson on this passage whenever they're talking about money. Oh, you're talking about money. And, and, but the thing is, Jesus doesn't just tell him to give up the money. He tells him he's got to give up more than that because what does Jesus say? He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Now, if now if I'm standing there 
I'm thinking, well, Jesus, you didn't even listen to his question. You didn't even hear what he said because your answer is not the answer to his question. He, the young ruler asked nothing about following Jesus. He made no indications that he had any desire to follow Jesus. In fact, he's made pretty, he made pretty much clear that his only interest was an eternal life. What the rich young ruler wanted was, I want to live my life as I'm living it right now with all the benefits of all my money and get my fulfillment and satisfaction out of this money. But I really want somebody to confirm for me. I want a rabbi, a teacher, someone that's respected in that to confirm for me that I've lived good enough to get to get heaven. To spend eternity in heaven. And I, hey, I, I'm, li- I'm living good. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I obey all the laws. But I'm scared. And I'm not quite fully fulfilled. And there's some satisfaction missing. And I think if someone would confirm for me that I've got eternity in heaven, then I might be fulfilled. So I'm going to find Jesus. That's all the rage. He's, everybody's talking about Jesus and what a great teacher he is. And he does miracles. I'll talk to this guy. Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And he got the answer he wanted. Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. You know what they are. And he, the guy says, yes, I meet the requirements. I've done these things since the youth. I've, this is the lifestyle I've lived has been obeying the law. I did it. I did everything it takes to get to heaven. Woohoo! And then Jesus says, but one thing you still lack. Oh. And what Jesus wanted to offer him was something completely different than what his purpose in life was. His purpose in life was to gain significance and fulfillment out of gaining the Jewish dream. All right? Have money, obey the law, and eternity in heaven. Woohoo! And Jesus said, no. What you really need if you want fulfillment and satisfaction and significance is sell and trade all of this stuff here on earth for your treasures in heaven and then do my mission. Follow me. Be a disciple. Come on. Hang out with me. Jesus offered him a personal relationship with him focused on completing God's mission for this world. I would think that would be pretty satisfying and fulfilling. Instead, the rich young ruler walks away deeply saddened. It's a tough trade to make. Why do you think the rich young ruler did not follow Jesus? Think he didn't understand what the trade-offs were? He just overvalued the temporal benefits. Think about it. Because, yeah, we, because we, have, we need to ask ourselves these same questions. Why, why do I walk away sad when I'm asked to give myself? I think now we start to understand what an idol is for us. Right? Starting to clear up. An idol is something you desire more than you desire Jesus. Rich young ruler, you can walk with me. Have a relationship with me. 
No, I'll take my money instead. He desired it more than he desired Jesus. Something you pursue more than you pursue Jesus. An idol is something we won't let go of in order to lay hold of Jesus. And it's something we keep when Jesus says, let it go. Bottom line is something that we find our security in, our significance, our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our identity in, instead of finding those things in Jesus Christ. You see, as believers, a pretty awesome thing happens at salvation. Pretty amazing thing. And this isn't a lesson on soteriology, but we need to understand that at salvation, we are brought into a perfect union with Jesus Christ. And all the benefits and all the joys and all the satisfactions that can come from a perfect relationship with God are right there for us. We have them available. They're right there for us, right there for grabbing hold of, for owning up to, for taking into our life and living for. They're right there. Jesus saying, hey, come and follow me. Be with me. Be in a relationship with me. And then you will have an identity, an adopted son of God. You will have satisfaction knowing that you are doing the ultimate work in this world of building God's church. You'll have fulfillment because it's everlasting benefits and everlasting eternal rewards. You'll have those things, but they come in Jesus Christ and Him alone. How do we know when our job is an idol? Here, okay, the test. Okay, we have to work through this, don't we? Your job is an idol. When is it? Some things to consider. Your job's an idol when work is your primary source of your satisfaction. You've got to pause for a moment and think about this for a section. second. When have you been fully satisfied and fulfilled in the last few months? And if it's related to work, if it's related to a great job you did, or if it's related to the promotion you got, or the new job, or whatever, then watch out. Your job might be your God. If you're always discontented and searching for more from your work. What? Because you're not satisfied with your job. So your entire focus is that you're continually pursuing a different job. Or you're continually pursuing something that you're not getting at work. I'm not satisfied on my job, so I'm always looking for something different. My job is never good enough. I'm always complaining about my job. It's not there. It's not doing. I'm discontented and I'm searching for more. I can only get this other job. Well, why is that? It might be because you're finding your satisfaction in your work. And again, it's tough. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to pursue a better job and better yourself. That would be foolish. But when that discontent is because we've lost satisfaction in our life and we think that the new job will bring us satisfaction, we're fooling ourselves. I'm totally fixated on being fulfilled at work. I just want fulfillment. I want it. I, I got to find the right thing. I got to do the right job. If I could find a job that's related to, if I could find a vocational ministry job, if I could find a job in, 
that's doing something that really is benefits the world, and so I'm going to work for a charitable organization. Those are all great things. But they're not going to fulfill you any more than making widgets. Because where does fulfillment and satisfaction need to come from? Jesus Christ. It's, we get frustrated with our job because it doesn't build satisfaction. It's like the kid walking by and you see, you see the kid in the driveway and he's kicking his bike. He's throwing it down. He's kicking it. And he's just mad. Well, what, what's wrong? He goes, it won't fly. And you're like, what? My bike, it won't fly. Watch. And he gets on, he starts pedaling and he lets go and, it, and he falls over. Well, you're going, Todd, that's stupid. That's absurd. Yeah, why? Because bikes aren't made to fly. And guess what? Your work is not made to bring you satisfaction. Not the kind of satisfaction that Jesus can bring you. Not the kind of fulfillment that Jesus gives us. Because if we're looking for that ultimate and total deep satisfaction and fulfillment in our job, we're going to be ticked off at our job. Because it's not going to make it. Kind of like when we look for those things in our spouse. Ooh, how does that work? Not well. Why? Because they're people and they fail us. Sorry, not my wife, but everybody else's. You know? Yeah, it doesn't work. Maybe your job is an idol when your work is all about being the best so you can make a name for yourself. Undue emphasis and pursuit of perfection and excellence. Why? I want to be recognized. I want people to glorify me. Again, this is tough because these, these are, we're talking about inner motivation things, right? Because there's anything wrong with doing an excellent job at work. No, we should do an excellent job at work because we're working for God and in God's name. The problem is we're doing it instead of for God's glory, for our glory, and suddenly it becomes an idol. Um, your job might be an idol when your work becomes primarily about making a difference in the world. In other words, you're discontented, again, because... I'm just making widgets and I'm not making a difference. Look at all these jobs that make a difference in the world and I, I don't get to be a part of that. I think this might be the ultimate one. And this is the one that I struggle with consistently. All the time I have to get reminded on this one. Your job might be an idol if you work to pursue or you work to support your pursuit of the American dream rather than to do God's mission. You work to support your pursuit of the American dream rather than to do God's mission. Again, we're in America. I mean, we just get to where we think that in order to be satisfied and fulfilled, we've got to have the Three, two, two car garage, two cars in that garage, kids in the good schools and doing great in their, on their sports teams and involved in anything and everything, and the consistent cool posting on Pinterest or whatever. You know, go, I mean, the American dream, right? And make sure you're proclaiming it to everybody on Facebook that you're living it. Um, that's, that's what I, that's, I'm. Most Facebook is pretty much just my, is mostly my friends from college and high school. And, and guess what? Most of my high school friends are living the American dream. And they tell me about it. You know? A lot of my college friends are vocational ministers. And they're not. 
So, you know, you kind of get that. That's the downside of vocational ministry. You don't get the three, two, with you going, you know, necessarily. But, uh, pursuit of the American dream. We think we have to have it. We think when we get it, we'll finally be satisfied. Then I've got to maintain it. Problem is, then I've got to keep up with those around me because suddenly my, what I think is the American dream shifted on me. Oh, I thought it was living in this neighborhood. Now it's living over in this neighborhood. I thought it was driving the Honda Accord. Now it's driving the Lexus. You know, what, what is the American dream? But we're pursuing it. We're living for it. And our, if our jobs are supporting our pursuit of the American dream rather than existing for the purpose of allowing us to do God's mission, our jobs become an idol for us. Because our purpose in working is in the same purpose we have for living, and that is to do God's mission. And even as we live in our very... Tell you what, hey guys, I think all of us can understand this idea that we're put into a mission field every Monday morning when we go to work. And we're to do God's mission there. And we're to do God's mission when we come home and we walk past our neighbors. And we're to do God's mission when we walk into that home and we have a family that needs to be discipled. And we do God's mission. That's why we live. What we exist for. It's what God created us for. And that's what our jobs are there to support. All right, so why does work make a terrible job? Take, yeah. Why does work make a terrible God? Okay, I talked through these already quite a bit. But first of all, it never gives satis- the satisfaction it promises or we really need. Hey, if your work is your God, you're not going to be satisfied. It's just not going to happen. You'll always per- be pursuing something different. Idolizing your work is a deadly spiritual danger. If you pursue... If your pursuit of joy and satisfaction and meaning centers on what you do and what you are accomplishing, you'll find nothing but emptiness at the end of that road. Deep and lasting satisfaction is only found in worship directed directly at the one who alone deserves it, Jesus Christ. It also our work makes a terrible our job's a lousy God also because thorns and thistles, right? The curse is still in effect. You're working a job that's going to be ineffective in an environment that's cursed. That's miserable. I mean, does everybody love the people they work with? Everybody you work with is a perfect coworker. Yes, sir. Kim raises her hand. <laughs> Holy cow. Is there any greater frustration than the work frustration? You know, and, and, and to the point that it's just funny at times. You know, the you know the the meetings that are meaningless. Love those. I'm glad that I, I love it when you walk into a meeting and the first 15 minutes is them trying to get the PowerPoint to work. Thank you for wasting 15 minutes of my life. You know, frustration it, 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 because it's ineffective. But that's okay because I can sit there and go. But my satisfaction is not based upon PowerPoint, and so it's all right. And I say it just like that to them. And they kick me out of the meeting without getting a donut. Um, Also, the bondage of what's next. Because what happens? If our job is our God, and it fails, 
at being perfectly satisfying, what do we do? We pursue one that will be satisfying. Then we go, well, but the fact is, it's not going to be perfectly satisfying. And so what do we do? We pers- it's always the what next? What next? What next? And again, don't misunderstand me. I've worked very hard at my job to get to where I am in my company. And, 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 and I worked hard and I took tests and I did things to, 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 to get raises and to get promotion. And you do those things. And if a better, greater, more perfect job came along, I might, I would consider it. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's whenever my satisfaction is based upon those things. Because I haven't had a promotion in 12 years. And so if my satisfaction was based on that, it would have been a miserable 12 years. No, I'm in a job that I'll probably be in the same level for a long time. Kim's going, no, Todd, no, one more level up, come on. Next level up, I get to request Royals tickets. I'm not there yet. So, <laughs> it's the what? The goalposts will keep moving. The ladder of success always has one more rung. Or maybe you get to the top and you're leaning against the wrong building, right? Doesn't work. So, okay, let's get to the bottom line. How do I move my worship from work to God? How do I make adjustments, Todd? Because, and here's the thing. If you're like me, the issue isn't my job has become my soul, God. You know, I mean, we come, I come to, I come to church too much for that. If, if my job and my work was my soul idol, I wouldn't be here this morning. But here's what the problem is. I start to line up my idols. I'll let God be one of them. But then I've got some other idols. And believe me, we like idols. Because it takes a whole lot of trust and faith to let God be the sole source of our fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in life. And so whenever I start to feel like I'm not satisfied, rather than having faith in God and God alone, my heart will start to lead me towards looking to something else in my life to give me that satisfaction and fulfillment. And my heart creates an idol. It says, Todd, you know, you'd feel more security in your life if you had more money in your 401k. Then you'd feel good about your future, that it was taken care of, and your provision was done. So you probably need to put more money there. That means you need to stop giving as much here. You need to stop doing this. And if you'll do that, that will give you security in your life. It doesn't work that way. That's my heart making an idol for me. Whereas God says, Todd, your ultimate security is in me and your treasure in heaven. I will take care of you. Don't be an idiot. Put some money in your 401k, but don't find your security there. Find your security in me. And you'll never even worry about the market going down or going up. All right? The thing is, I don't bail on God. I'll let Him be a God in my life. Sure, you'll be my God over in this area, but I've got to have some other idols over here to get me some other satisfactions because I don't trust you completely. And so if you're like me, it's not an issue of work is my only God. It's an issue that I've elevated work to one of my gods. All right? And we need to be real careful about this because we'll think, well, Todd, I man, I go to church every week. I go to small group. I give money to the church. 
Heck, I've even been on a missions campaign with Chris Regas. And if and, and that those are phenomenal. You come back changed. I can't possibly <coughs> I can't possibly have not have God not have God as my God. <coughs> Excuse me. But what we do, we have God as one of our gods. And then we start lining up the idols. And we start lining them up. So how do we correct this? How do we adjust? <coughs> First of all, request, <clears throat> request God to search your heart and reveal your idolatries. This is an issue. I mean, this is the get with this is the come to Jesus moment, right? Because the fact is, you don't think about it and pray about it, you're not going to see them. And if you're really brave, you'll find somebody very close to you to talk through it with. Talk about your life. Let them talk into your life. Hey, what are you seeing? Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. What are my idols? What, how do I deal with this? What, what am I, in my heart, finding security, satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy in where I should be finding it in Jesus Christ. Request God to search your heart. Two, repent. Repent of idolatry while God reveals it. Here's the thing. Idolatry is a sin. It's not not a life adjustment thing. Oh, I mean, a better way to live would be to have God as my source of fulfillment. No. To live any other way is sinful. To have any other idol other than God is a sin in our life that needs to be eradicated and killed. Repentance. Not a pretty word. It's not a nice idea. And we don't like talking about things as sin. We like talking about them as not the best way for me to live. No, it's a sinful way to live. Okay? Repent of our idolatry where God reveals it. And then replace pursuing what you think you need with what God has already provided. I don't have, this is, this is a whole bunch of lessons. What we pursue at work. Here's the alliteration I created for you, Kirk. Provision. This is what we're looking for security in. We want provision where we look for security. But what has God already provided? He's provided His promises. In Matthew 6.33, what's that verse say? Anybody real quick? Matthew 6.33. Seek. And then what happens? All these things will be added unto you. So He promises us uh, some temporal, I'll take care of you. But in Ephesians 1.3, Ephesians 1.3, He says, In Christ you have every spiritual blessing. God's provision isn't... It's not. You want security? Your security is not going to come just in the fact that, okay, I've got a roof over my head. Your security is going to come from the reality that in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. That's security. Because Jesus doesn't change. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't leave us. He's eternal and He's faithful and He's true. That's the ultimate provision. So we want to, hey, I need security. 
Jesus. The promise is there. Read Ephesians 1.3. We have every spiritual blessing. He's holding none of it back. Pa- position and power. This is where we look for identity and significance. This is who I am. This is all about what I do. You know, we look for our significance. I feel better about myself. I love to brag about what I do. I love, okay? Power and pos- position. We want significance. You want significance? Think about God's acceptance in your life. Romans 8.15 is very clear on this and the fact that we are adopted into God's families as His sons. And what's unique is another passage that talks about the fact that we are joint heirs with Christ. In other words, in that culture, you might be adopted, but the firstborn still got everything. God didn't do that. He brought us in and made us joint heirs with Christ. We get the, we're accepted and elevated. Prestige, you're on God's mission. God's, the creator of the universe, you are on his mission. Production, where do you get your satisfaction? Build God's church. Build his body. Build disciples. And then ultimately, number four, restore Jesus to the rightful place. Worship him above your work. Let's pray. God, we love you, but sometimes we love other things too. God, just help us eradicate those idols from our heart. Let us repent of that sin of seeking seeking in other things what you have already provided for us in Christ. Just let our hearts be changed and let us be submissive to even your word as we go upstairs and listen. In Jesus' name, amen.